Would you open your Bibles again, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16? And in those two verses that we looked at just a short time ago, in verses 13 and 14, there are five directives that are given, five admonitions, as it were, for us to live spiritually successful lives. And several weeks ago, we began looking at these verses and discussing exactly what is implied with them. The first word that appears in verse 13, watch, can be expanded to be something of this nature. Be on your guard. And what Paul is saying is this. He recognizes the kind of world in which the Corinthians were living, and we have to acknowledge the kind of world in which we're living is a world that is not at peace with our God. As I've heard stated on a number of different occasions, this world is no friend of grace. And I guess we could apply that to the church as well as to those of us around the face of the globe who have experienced the grace of God by accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior. And as a result, we find ourselves in a spiritual warfare. And so Paul tells us, be on your guard as a soldier who would be standing guard waiting for an enemy attack. Be aware, watch, keep your eyes open. And what are the things that he specified through 1 Corinthians to keep their eyes open for? Well, he talked to them about their coolness, the the fact that they could uh, embrace the things that he had written in a way that does not really impact their hearts, that they would be very cold toward the truths that God had revealed. He talked to them about the way that they were to not resist the servants that the Lord had sent to them. And there were a number that are listed in the 16th chapter and how they were holding them at at arm's length and, and really not treating them well at all. He talked to them in the first two chapters about the division that existed. And he was warning them that that's the sort of thing that ruins fellowship. It ruins a testimony. And the whole idea is that you have to be on your guard so that you are not ruining your testimony, that you are not breaking fellowship, and you need to heal those things that bring about the division that has characterized the church. And then he gave a whole list of directives that were designed for the purpose of helping the believers at Corinth deal with some of the issues, some of the problems that they were dealing with as a church. They they had immorality within the congregation. And Paul said that has to be dealt with, and it has to be dealt with very harshly. A a person has to be removed from the fellowship. They, They were experiencing lawsuits that were taking place among people within the church for the sake of of material gain and for the sake of their own personal desires. And the Lord said, that's not the way we handle things. You don't go to law for that in the church. You deal with it in the church. And then justice should still prevail, but it can be dealt with within the church. He talked to them about the use of their spiritual gifts. He talked to them about the way that they would understand that there are areas of of, um, influence within the lives of believers that can cause others to stumble in their walk with the Lord and that they were to be very careful that they do not cause others to stumble. And so he went on and he gave a whole variety of different uh, directives that were designed for the purpose of keeping them alert. Watch. We looked at other portions of Scripture where some of the same admonitions were given, and we saw that they were to be very careful about watching out for the yeast of the Pharisees, the, the, uh, the sinful hypocrisy that 
permeated the religious people of the day. He warned them about being ready for Christ's return, that they should live every day in such a way that Christ may come right now. And don't change your life if you knew the Lord was coming. Live consistently with what you know to be the truth of how you should live if He comes, because He could. He could come at any moment. He went on to talk to them about greed, about false teachers, about lawless men. And he said to them, watch. Now he goes on to the second admonition. And he says this, stand fast in the faith. Be firm in the stand that you take, having embraced Christ as Savior, but more than that, having embraced the revelation about Christ, the faith is not merely that which is directed to bring about our forgiveness and our eternal life. The faith involves the teachings that surround the person of Christ, that surround the reality of who our God is, and they are to stand fast in that, to to hold firmly in their position that they have in Christ. And we saw a couple weeks ago the very first part of that which really takes us back to the 58th verse of the preceding chapter if you look at that he says this therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the lord knowing that your labor is not in vain in the lord so how are they going to stand firm How are they going to remain faithful and true to what has been revealed? And Paul gives them an answer there in that 15th verse. Be fully committed to the work of the Lord. And so as we looked at that, we realized that the level of our commitment to the Lord really determines to a large extent how firmly we stand in the faith. He then tells us something else as he writes to them in his next letter. And because of the way our Bibles are set up, you may not even have to turn a page. But I want you to look at 2 Corinthians at the second, or pardon me, at the first chapter, at the 24th verse, because he gives us another insightful observation about standing uh, firm in the faith. Verse 24. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy. For by faith you stand. Well now, on one hand he's telling us to stand firm in the faith. Then he turns around in this next letter that he writes to them, perhaps as a bit more explanation for them so that they understand exactly what he's talking about. And he says this, That faith in which you are to stand firm in is to be done by faith. And so he introduces a whole other concept for us. The saving faith that embraces the sacrifice of Christ is one type of faith that we exercise, we trust in what Christ accomplished for us rather than entrusting ourselves to earn God's merit. Because God has made it very clear, there is nothing you can do within yourself, there is no work that you can perform, there's no religious task that you can carry out that will ever bring us to the place where we enter into a right relationship with our God. Because all of that is accomplished without the faith that has to be exercised in the person of Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven 
given among men, whereby we must be saved. So we can't save ourselves. And the only way we can find a spiritual rescue is by directing our confidence and our faith to the work that Jesus Christ performed at the cross of Calvary and at the tomb when he rose again from the dead. But now he's saying, you received the benefit of forgiveness and life by faith, but you also live by faith. Don't embrace the things that are merely that which you can observe with your eyes as the final truth. For example, a person's life comes to an end. They're lying in a casket. You look at them and you say, they're dead. That's it. They're gone. I hear people make this statement. We're going to lay them in their final resting place. I have news for you. My faith does not embrace that belief. This is a body that has been laid aside for a time. But it is not going, for a believer, it's not going to a final resting place. My body's not going to go to a final resting place. My body's going to be resurrected, and yours will too, if you know Christ as your Savior. And the reality is that when we look into the eyes of physical death, the faith helps us stand firm in what we know to be true. We sorrow, but not as those who have no hope. We still have hope in Christ, and my faith helps me stand. I'm not, I'm not so brokenhearted that I can't recover. Because those in Christ are going to rise again from the dead with a renewed body, a transformed body. By the way, the lost will rise as well, but they will rise to be cast into the lake of fire, which is a horrible alternative that no one needs to experience if they will accept Christ as their Savior. So we talk about standing by faith. It is now the appropriation of the promises that God has made to us with an absolute confidence. Am I confident that God is still in control when my body is racked by disease? And the answer is yes. He is still in control. Are my emotions bolstered by the reality that when trials are coming my way that seem to crush my spirit, God has a purpose for allowing those things into my life? Yes. I love Him. I've been called according to his purpose. Therefore, he makes this promise. All things shall work together for your good. Because you love me. And you've been called according to my purpose. Do I believe that? Do I believe that God can take the worst circumstances of life and ultimately have them work out for the best in my life? Absolutely. That is standing firm in the faith. So I look at the commitment that the Lord desires from me to stand firm. 
And then I realize that he has surrounded me with a host of promises that keep me secure, not in his presence. He's taken care of that. I am sealed to the day of redemption. I give to them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I am secure in his hands as far as getting home safely. But living a life of security, a life that does not have to be overcome by anxiety, that does not have to be overcome by fear, but a life that can stand firm in the faith because of faith. I believe what he has said and I know that every promise he has made is true. The ones that are directed to me. Not every promise is directed to me, but the ones that are, are true. Stand firm. Well, if that were it, that would be plenty, but there's more. He tells us that we are to stand firm in our spiritual freedom. What are the freedoms that the Lord has provided for us spiritually? When a person comes to know Jesus Christ as Savior, he is redeemed. Redemption is a term that is used to describe the act of purchasing a slave out of a slave market. When slavery was part of the experience of humanity, which by the way it still is, but in a number of different forms. But when it was more obvious in our historic understanding of the background of slavery, a person could be redeemed by another person who would pay the price that brought them out of that slavery. And then the new person that purchased them would decide what their experience would be. And there were good people who purchased people out of slavery so that they could be set free and they could enjoy the benefits of a life of freedom. The reality is that spiritually speaking, when Christ redeemed us, he purchased us out of a slave market. Because the Bible describes us as being slaves to sin. That's why an unsaved person can't do anything that pleases God. Their righteousnesses are as filthy rags and putrefying sores. That's pretty bad. That's not good. But now... The Savior says, there is a price that has to be paid to set you free. And that price is death. And I'll pay it. And so he goes to the cross. And he is crucified. And he sheds his blood. And he gives up his life. And he cries out, it is finished. To tell us die. We've talked about this before. But in case you're not familiar with what that word means, that is the word that he cried from the cross. To tell us die. It literally means paid in full. What more has to be paid for our freedom from the bondage of sin? Nothing. Stand firm in the freedom you have been given, not allowing yourselves to once again be drawn back into the dominating influence of sin within your life. You are to live a life that is pure, that is holy, that is clean, 
because you've been set free and you're able to live that kind of life. And so he says, don't fall back into that. Don't go back into a slave market from which I have purchased you. That's a terrible place to live. That's an awful place to be. And you don't need to be there. So come on out. And then he talks about the freedom that we can have in conquering the satanic influences within our life. Because he tells us to to be strong in the Lord and having done all to stand. And then he goes on to tell us about the different parts of the armor that he provides, the girdle of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, our feet shod with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, uh, taking up the shield of faith by which we can quench all of Satan's fiery darts, having in place the helmet of salvation and wielding in truth and in power the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And he gives us freedom. He says, stand firm in the freedom That I've given to you. He tells us further. Stand firm. By upholding one another in prayer. Will you turn with me in the scriptures. To the book of Colossians. And we're going to find a challenge in this book. That I think is extremely important for us to lay hold of. There's a man by the name of Epaphras. Or Epaphras. Depending on how you want to pronounce it. In Colossians, the fourth chapter, the twelfth verse, where we're told this, Epaphras, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always, laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Do you know what he's saying? Part of the benefit of being a a member, and I'm, I'm going to use that terminology in the broadest sense, a member of the body of Christ, in a more specific way, a member of a local congregation where the Lord Jesus Christ is honored and glorified, here and many other churches in our area. But to be identified with a group of believers, one of the great benefits is we pray for each other. We remember each other. One of the best things that I can hear people say is they will come to me, and and I hear this frequently, and I'm so thankful for this. Pastor, we're praying for you. Others will say, Pastor, I pray for you every day. And all I can say is, thank you. That is the best thing you can do for me. And then I hear others say, I will pray for you. Uh, This past week and a half, rough time. For, uh, for Ruth Abronsky, um, diagnosed with um, stage 4 cancer and uh, had her lungs filling up with fluid and has gone through a treatment that, as I understand, Carl is working to keep the lung from filling. So far, so good. And uh, I, I see Carl's posts on Facebook, and, and I do follow those. I don't write back wisecracks on something like that. I wait, I do that to other people. But in this, I can write back and say, we're praying. And then I see a host of other submissions. We're praying for you. We're praying for you. We're praying for you. We're praying for you. That you stand firm. 
I mean, you're going through a period of time which from all human perspective is going to lead to her physical death. God can perform a miracle, I understand that, but from the human perspective at age 87, probably this will be the last event in her life that will take her to be with the Savior. Which, by the way, if you say, oh, Pastor, that's a terrible thing to say. No, no, no. She is anxious. She is looking forward to going to be with her Lord. And so we're not saying anything, but, but there would be loss. There, there is a sense of loss and there's a sorrow that goes along with that. Well, we look at that and we, we understand that in order to stand fast through the deep waters, we need divine help. And how do we get it? We pray for each other. Epaphras is praying that they stand firm, that they remain strong, and we pray for each other. Believe it or not, I pray for you. I can't say that I pray for you every day, but it's my practice to take our directory and to go through the directory and pray for everybody in there. When I know specific requests, I will pray about those specific requests. When I don't know a specific request, then I pray in a very general sense that whatever the needs are in your life, the Lord would intervene and He would satisfy those needs as He sees fit. And I try to go through that. And you know what happens when I get to the end of the alphabet? Start all over again. By the way, a lot of you have names that end with C. There's a lot of C's. Um, Believe it or not, there are quite a few W's. Um, I don't think there's any Q's. Um, Boy, if there is, then then I apologize (laughs) because I haven't prayed for you. (laughs) But anyway, you understand what I'm saying. And part of it is that what the Lord allows us to do which is one of the greatest works that we can do for each other, is to pray for one another. That we will stand firm. And by the way, it's not just to pray for physical healing. It's to pray for the spiritual well-being of individuals. When Paul came to the end of the third chapter in Ephesians, he offered a prayer that to me is a wonderful prayer. And he talks to the believers at Ephesus, and he says to them, I pray that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will. He he also wrote the same thing to the Colossians. And he says, I pray that you will grasp how high and wide and deep and long is the love of Christ for you. I pray that Christ will dwell within you richly, that he will be free, to move anywhere in your life that He chooses. That every room of your experience is open to the presence of the Lord. You're not holding any part back. And that you will be filled with His fullness, having been strengthened in the inner man. That's a great prayer. That's a great prayer. You ought to pray that for your families. That's how we stand. We pray. We're not done. He proceeds by telling us this. I want you to hold firmly to the teaching that has been delivered by the apostles. Notice what it says. Once again, if you would please turn to 2 Thessalonians 
just a couple pages back from where you were there in Ephesians, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. The things that we have taught as the apostles, you embrace the truths that God has revealed through us, holy men of God being carried along by the Holy Spirit. So that which is written is the inspired word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Sometimes, Maybe I'm not seeing things clearly. But I am really troubled by what I am seeing in the Christian community today. I'm seeing a satisfaction with an understanding of God's Word that is just about this deep. Not really embracing doctrine. And I know you you guys say, oh, pastor, you're always hung up on doctrine. You know why? When you believe the right thing, you do the right thing. And so doctrine is extremely important. Otherwise, why did God bother giving it to us? Let's just tear it out of our Bibles. It's not necessary. Just get people saved. No, you and I don't get anybody saved. Salvation is of the Lord. We can tell them what they have to believe to be saved, but people get saved when the Lord works in their heart and they recognize that they're sinners who need a Savior and they turn in faith and they trust Christ. I can't convince anybody to do that. But what I can do is I can study God's Word to where I understand His doctrines so that I understand the promises that He has made, I understand the directives that He's given, I understand the warnings that He has put out, and I live a life by the grace of God that embraces those truths. Paul says, stand fast by embracing Those things that we have taught you, whether in the epistle or through the verbal transmission of those things that he had been taught by Christ with whom he had met in the wilderness to be instructed. And so if we're going to stand, we've got to embrace the truths of God's word. He gives us one final area by which we can stand, and that's knowing Christ's return. You know, one of the things that makes worthwhile living for Christ is found in the book of James. Would you turn back, please, to James chapter 5 and the 8th verse. You also be patient. Establish your hearts For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Should I be careful today and stand fast? Yeah. Why? Because he might come. I don't want to be caught doing stuff I ought not be doing when he comes. Now, part of the problem that we have is this. Well, I did a lot of things that I know I shouldn't be doing and he didn't come. I didn't get caught. Ha! Well, you've been caught. You just don't know it yet. It'll come out. It's coming out one day. 
going to have to give an account for all that we've said and all that we've done. So you haven't gotten away with anything. But you might feel like, hey, I can do whatever I want because even though the Lord is coming, He hasn't come for years and years and years and years. Look at all this time that has passed. So what does Paul say? He says, be patient. Be patient. Do what's right because at any moment the Lord may come. These are reasons for which to stand fast. And so we stand. We've got at least one more week at looking at these five admonitions and we've gone through two of them. Does that tip you off to anything? <laughs> Listen, I, I look at these portions of the Word and it's kind of like, you know, there are times you can just rush through things and then you feel like, okay, I studied that and then you go away and you say, well, what was all that about? I hope that our slowing down and taking time to look at each of these admonitions proves to be spiritually beneficial for your walk with the Lord, to live a life that is pleasing to Him. Can I tell you what to do? Be on your guard. There's an enemy out there trying to take you down. Stand firm in knowing the truths that you know about our Savior and about his plan. And then, next time we meet, by the grace of God, we will talk about the courage that's necessary for us to do those things. Can you be back for that? All right, let's stand. Our Father, what a privilege it is to open your word. We're thankful for its truth. We're thankful that as part of the body of Christ, we can stand with one another. We can pray for one another. We can anticipate the return of our Savior. We can commit ourselves to your work. We can embrace by faith the truths that you have revealed to us. And we can stand in our spiritual freedom that you have provided for us. Thank you, Father, for giving us all the provision we need to stand firm. Amen.